What is going on, everybody? John Stanek from Johnny Radio here, bringing you another episode of the So You Think You Know podcast, where I interview artists, musicians, and all kinds of interesting people. And this is a very special episode, folks. If you don't know him as the front man of the legendary alt-rock band Shiner, then you should definitely know him as the front man of the legendary alt-rock band, The Life and Times. He's a fellow podcaster, almost 100 episodes into his show, Third Gear Scratch. He's just a huge inspiration to myself and to many. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Alan Epley. Dude, thank you again for being here. Uh, like I said, I love Third Gear Scratch. Your podcast has some of the best top of the episode banter in the game. Well, thank you. Yeah, man. I've I've learned so much about you uh, with that. Like, I had no idea how big a sports fan you are. I, I do like the sport ball. I do like sports ball. I don't, I mean, it, I really have to, I mean, I grew up playing sports in, in, uh, you know, for the city and for high school and everything. I played football in high school, but okay, really, I, I always shot hoops all through church leagues and all that. And then in college, I would not shoot with the. I was not a college ball player by any stretch, but right. um, I've always had a hoop behind my house, and um, so. But it helps because the t- the towns I've been living in have teams that I like watching, and so I like that kind of civic pride too you know so oh absolutely man yeah originally being from kansas city and now in chicago i'm sure you're a huge bulls fan uh, or back in the jordan era anyway who wasn't though everyone yeah of course that was the time when he had kind of transformed you know the sport and yeah uh, you know it, it was everyone was was watching so oh yeah Speaking of that, did you watch the Last Dance uh, documentary that oh, during the pandemic? Great, yeah, it was a it was a nice way to kill some of that de- downtime for sure. And what a you know, it's just amazing to watch that guy do his thing. Oh yeah, incredible and so well made. The music they chose was great. Um, but yeah, man, uh, so many things uh, about you that are are intriguing to me. Like I didn't realize until recently. As well, I learned from your podcast that you're a part of the uh, Blue Man Group up there in Chicago. I am. I am. How, how did that come to pass? Well, um, I should caution, I'm not a blue man. Okay, okay. Okay, so there's the Blue Man, and those are actors. Those guys are mainly actors that do have musical skills, clearly. Right. And there is a band. There's a three-piece or sometimes larger-piece band depends on what city you're in uh, that kind of hovers above the stage and kind of sculpts the show with right. blue men and their movements. And so I was one of those dudes. I played bass guitar and Chapman stick. You know what, you know what Chapman stick is? Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. That's pretty cool. And there's a badass drummer and there's a, a, a guitarist that also plays electric zither. And the zither is the most complicated of all the instruments. Yeah, I would imagine. I've seen one of those things. It looks very complicated. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. And it's like only for like blue. It's kind of a, a blue man kind of invention. And the way they play it is really unique. So right, right. Lucky. I had some friends who uh, around 2009, I got to try out for them. And I was came back from a tour with Life and Times. We were out on tour with the Get Up Kids. And... Um, I flew back from New York to try out I have a buddy of mine, these friends, Mike Burns and uh, Graham McLaughlin, the guys who hired me ultimately were already working there. And I flew back from New York and I did not get the gig. I tried out. I kind of sucked. Um, and then I got a call about a week and a half later that I did not get the gig. So I was super bummed about that. Cut to a year later, a year and a half later, I saw Mike Burns at, I, w- I want to say Russian Circles at like uh lincoln hall and he was like hey man if you're or man no it was just a text he goes hey dude we're trying out more people if you want to try again so i was like i remember distinctly saying to my wife and i was like mike wants me to try it again fuck that i don't want to blah 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 (laughs) yeah i heard about it and uh 
she goes, what do you have to lose? Go try it out. I walked in, I got the gig and, and it was really great. So we were, it's a, it is a really fun gig. There's like uh, nine, nine or 10 players and you're always switching up the different uh, ensembles. So right. I might, this drummer every whenever, and then switch out with the other guitarists and that kind of thing. And so you're always getting a new ensemble of players. It's like being in Kiss where different people play Eric Carr or Peter Chris or yeah. Hey, you got a different one in each city. I think they actually thought about franchising it like that. Like, and if they haven't, they should. That sounds so fun, man. I, I bet you love that. Cause I, I mean, I know you're such like a, a hardworking musician that's good at everything, but then also, yeah, to be able to switch it up all the time, that must be kind of liberating for you. Yeah, it, it was really nice to switch it up and, and not play indie rock and to play just as a professional musician. They weren't asking my uh, sense of like, um, put on, put some Alan Epley sauce on this. <laughs> right. It really wasn't that. It was more like, you just be a pro and play the part. And then after you know it very well, then maybe you can add in some of your, what you do to make it great. But you don't go change in the part. Just be a pro. Play the part. Some of them are simple. Some of them are super difficult. But right. do it. And to make um, at least half my living from it was um, really nice. And the pandemic has kind of sidelined everything because of, uh, you know, Cirque du Soleil owns Blooming. It kind of right. called Chapter 11. So we're waiting on to see what's happened. So. Oh, wow. That sucks, man. Yeah. I mean, I know it's, I mean, it sidelines so many things, but um, also I'm sure your um, other side gig of bartending, right? It did. Uh, and, and bartending is something that I do like doing, but I, if I didn't have to do it, I would probably not do it. Um, sure. I thoroughly my time at Longman and Eagle, and I love those people, and I've loved all of that. Longman and Eagle is a whiskey-centric Michelin star gastropub and Chicago Inn. There's like six rooms upstairs that have been that's cool. Reballered out. Yeah. And the guys who own it between the Lane and Sea Crew and, and Bruce Finkelman, um have just done such a great job. So I've been very blessed to have worked there for a long time. Um, but they're reopening and I'm not. I've been teaching a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not heading back. So we're, we're gonna see what's happening, what's what's gonna happen. So that's cool, man. But yeah, that's another thing I love about your podcast specifically is you kind of peel back the curtain of people in the music industry and show, you know, the real grind behind mus what musicians have to do to make a living. Um, and uh, that's really cool, like just showing the reality of it. I definitely enjoy that. And I appreciate that. I hope it does come through. I'm always trying to stay on point with what I'm doing. I could get lost in somebody's work or something, you know, and it is about their work, but it really is mainly about why, why in the world would you choose to do this and actually think it could happen? What made <laughs> you do this? And uh, what have you given up to do it? Many people have not had, have, don't have a family, you know, have forego kids maybe it's for the career so um i don't know you know there's everyone has sacrifices for uh the, the their career and and the performing arts are particularly um they're everywhere and so omnipresent and ubiquitous but they're also like overlooked and undervalued and they're under uh, supported i think the arts are not supported like they are in europe and in other countries. And I think it's a real shame, you know? Oh, absolutely. And if anything, I mean, we've learned so many things during this pandemic, but that's been one of the things that's been glaringly obvious that I, I think for a lot of musicians, that's been obvious for a long time that art's been undervalued. I mean, going back to, you know, Radiohead releasing in rainbows for nothing and, you know, just uh, the Napster days, but uh, but now it's like totally obvious that um, art is uh, somewhere in between priceless and and really <laughs> like zero. <laughs> completely disposable. Well, yeah. I, I, I do have hope for it. I really do. I think there's a lot of um, great 
things happening, great music and great art still being made. And a lot of people do have great careers from it. I think uh, there's such a proliferation of, of people who are making that. Um, some of it's not great, you know, and some of it just kind of clogs the, the pipeline. <laughs> yeah, sure. Maybe not everybody gets to put out a record, you know, maybe there's, but. <laughs> Uh, right right um, yeah there's a lot of quantity but not necessarily quality there is quality and i do think there's tons of great new bands i think there's i like i i'm i don't feel like man back in the old days things were blah 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 i don't believe that i believe no. there's great shit happening right now currently and uh, absolutely yeah you just got to know how to look for it really and it, and it is all it's all around us Oh, yeah. So what keeps you going in music, man? Because I know, you know, many people get jaded in the music industry, um, but you seem to always have this drive, uh, maybe a discipline. Um, what is it that drives you? That's a good question. Uh, it's like I keep asking myself, I wake up screaming in the middle of the night, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, I love what I do so dearly and time has just slipped past and now i find i'm 50 years old you know and like i'm still in it i've got um a nice body of work i have a nice fan base i hate to think about it like that but my collective groups have made a, a great name for themselves i'm very proud of that um i can see myself pivoting a certain point you know and like a style i'm not out to just like grind hard till i'm 80 years old that's not my point but um i do love teaching also so i see myself kind of trans transferring into something like that where it's a kind of larger experience in a in a, in a teaching environment and uh, kind of passing on what i know to um all kinds of people young and old yeah yeah do you teach uh multiple instruments or mainly guitar or Mainly guitar, multiple instruments, also some voice coaching and then some uh, bass guitar. Obviously, I'm a bassist. Um, yeah. Actually, my principal instrument. That was my. That was I my, did not realize that. Yeah. And I, I slap at a bass. As, <laughs> slap at a bass, man. <laughs> yeah, dude, uh, that transitions great into your your new band, uh, Bird Hands, which is just a two piece, correct? It is indeed. Uh, yeah, just me and Ian Prince. Ian's a uh, like an old friend of mine. He was in a band from Minneapolis called Houston. And since then, he's been playing with Story of the Sea, his brother, um, Adam Prince, Ian Prince and Adam. That's they're like, it could have been, could have been like Liam and Noel. There really is a certain kind of yeah. rock royalty vibe to that. But, um, Adam is a successful uh, family man and and is a is a working man at this point. He still makes music. Actually, I think they have a pretty great band. He's a great songwriter, Adam Prince. Yeah. But Ian uh, is a, an outstanding drummer, and um, so we are have started this thing. It's just we. The idea was to make. Um, it was supposed to be a very quick project, which is what's really ridiculous. It's taken longer than all my other projects to come to fruit. But like, I, I was going to just make a thing to some, to a click, make some bass loops and just mm -hmm. kind of make a song and make it three and a half or five minutes or whatever, and send it over to him. And whatever he drummed on it, I would take the first thing he sent back. And all of them were that he just, I didn't alter my arrangements at all. I just sent him a, my tracks with a big yeah. click. He played to him. He sent it back. We had it mixed, and that's what that is. Each one of these is that. We did not go back and say, oh, man, maybe the verse should go longer or maybe the chorus should get really heavy and go halftime, you know, or something. Right. It, it wasn't that vibe at all. It was just like, you do that, I'll do this, and then we'll put it together, we'll get it mixed and put out a record, and then we'll try to play it live. And so now that's what happened. We had Jay Robbins mix it, and we had uh, Jason Livermore master it. And Nice. Yeah, we got some vinyl just printed up from the guys at Smash Plastic here in Chicago. Oh, that's great, man. So it's coming soon, like uh, May 3rd, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A band camp day, whatever that is. I'm trying. I think it, that's the that's the new model. That's what uh, <laughs> yeah. the kids do, man. And uh, <laughs> it's, free, <laughs> the kids. 
Exactly. Yeah. So, but now you are playing bass uh, throughout the whole thing, right? Just it's just bass, and uh, I make some guitar sounds on the bass. I use a couple, like a pog pedal, and roll off all the all the low end, and it's a kind of a poly octave generator pedal. It's a, kind of sounds. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It That's different... really cool, man. Have you heard of the uh, the duo Hank and Cupcakes? Hank and Cupcakes. I don't think I have. Yeah, I think. I can't remember where they moved. I think they moved to New York now, but they were in the Atlanta scene for a little while, a uh, husband and wife duo. And she played drums and sang and he only played bass and just used like whacked out effects pedals um, that I think he made himself. But yeah, just really cool, man. So I, when I heard that you were doing that kind of thing, I was so psyched to hear it. I'm super pumped about it. I mean, it, it was basically, it's a, it's a tip of the cap. It's an homage to these bands that we really loved. Um, like Trans Am and bands like uh, uh, yeah. Touring Machine and, uh, the, you know, the drummer Jerry Fuchs is, is a, a big influence. Sure. This whole style and um, kind of a little bit of that Battles vibe a little bit. We, it's kind of like what we're kind of shooting for. I think it came out on our own thing. Uh, but we, it's all instrumental. So that lifted a weight. I didn't have to sing on it to come up with some sort of heavy lyric or narrative, which I really appreciated. And, yeah. Uh, Did that allow you to be a little more creative with the riffs in that way? Absolutely. Because I, I felt like I had to have, um, something to occupy that what would have gone there, you know? And I was yeah. all, are these songs really just rock songs that, you, I just chose not to sing on, which I think is does happen with some bands where they they're like, this song's instrumental, but it's really not. There's not enough uh, and like melodic uh, content in order to like merit. It's just as like a song that needs vocals. You know, it's like you guys and you guys. So I think that does happen. That is not what this was. I tried to make the songs are kind of weird and repetitive and all long. Uh -huh. and, and strange and that's then, cool yeah i mean you could have probably put some somebody could have sang on it for sure it's not as though that's not the thing but the idea of the arrangements was to um not have it like that that's know? cool yeah i've always felt i mean you seem to have this natural knack for melody um whether it's in vocals or guitar parts like a very innovative one that comes to mind is old souls um off tragic boogie which it almost seems to have some kind of like an eastern influence to it it's really cool oh, nice. um, yeah does melody come naturally to you or is it something you work hard at to innovate uh, that's a good question i um it does initially come very natural it's so natural that i end up kind of have like using some of the same mannerisms and stuff and melodies sometimes but um so does everybody and it like, but um, I generally can hear if somebody has a set of chords after a while, a little melodic narrative will present itself. If I'll just listen to it over and over or my own set of chords, I just will listen to it and you can kind of hear the notes of the guitar do kind of a voice leading thing. And it almost kind of tells you where the melody is. And if it's a, and Sometimes if the guitar line is more of like a linear kind of thing, then I do not mind singing along with that melody and having it go like straight up parallel with that melody line. I dig it, you know, and yeah. I, I've turned it into some of my own thing, you know? Yeah. Like you, I guess you do have sort of at this point, Alan Epley-isms uh, to a degree, but but that's that's what's so cool like you're one of those just handful of singers like um i don't know chino moreno comes to mind from deftones because sometimes i listen to their music and i'm like how does he come up with that melody line over that heaviness yeah. and um but you're one of those guys who does and and they're such pretty melodies all the time too like i remember when i listened to schadenfreude uh when it came out and was like, man, he still got it, you know, with, I mean, of course you do, but it was so cool for Shiner to have a new project and, you know, a song like Life as a Mannequin come on yeah. 
And I'm like, ah, it's Alan Epley, man. It's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> man. I, I, um, it has taken a while where I do realize that I do have a sound. I've always written from what I think is cool. I don't, I've never, uh, really tried to be of the moment. And we've, I've been making music since like the, the grunge days, you know, and I never tried to sound like Kurt or Eddie or Kim yeah. or Chris Cornell, or then you go through all the different times. And in the early 2000s, I could have started over and tried to sound like that New York sound, you know, and like when Life and Time started, I did not have that like kind of, you know, strokes Interpol thing going. That was not what I also, and could have, I could have like easily jumped in at a different spot. And I, I just didn't, I've continued to write what I write for better or worse. And I've cursed it sometimes because I was like, man, I'd be huge if I could just like jump onto a sound or something. <laughs> you know, like, I, I think ultimately I, don't, I wouldn't be happy. And I, I'm really proud of my body of work. And, uh, oh, yeah. And I think your, your diehard fans uh, wouldn't be as diehard otherwise. <laughs> yeah, so. I, probably true. And, I, you know, there's other factors involved with um, kind of like where, you know, what I've done so far. So. Um, I, I'm, I'm at peace with it all. And I, I do like, I do, I do love making music. So that's, that's great to hear that, uh, you're in a peaceful spot, man. Cause, um, you know, like I said earlier, so many people early on can, um, can just get knocked out by the music industry, but I was actually, um, I had this and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think this is a quote from you about the egg. Uh, someone asked you what it was about and you said uh, that it kind of represents the same thing that Woody does for a pack of racing greyhounds. It's the shining goal that you can just see right in front of you, just right there, but you can't quite grasp it. And while you're on that unending quest, your life's falling apart trying to catch that little fucking rabbit. <laughs> Is that correct? <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm kind of proud of myself. The I remember that quote and I, I don't remember what it was for, but uh, yeah, that is, that is exactly right. What did you, did I, did you tell me what it was from? Was it just, from? I'm not sure where it was from, to be honest, but I, I think I, it was on songmeanings.com about the egg. I stand by it. I think uh, it's um, an accurate summation of what I was trying to say in that tune. And I don't feel like uh, the, like I've always been the most uh, direct songwriter. Sometimes I've been too opaque in my lyrics. And so um, that one, I think in particular has kind of mystified people. Some songs, the narrative's more clear or you can understand kind of what the vibe is and feel it. That one I think was a little more um, opaque and was difficult for people to follow. So that was my intention. I remember Jay, Jay Robbins was asking me about it. He was like, I was like, do you know what this is about? He was like, I have no idea. It doesn't matter, it rules. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, absolutely. That's one of my favorite songs of your whole catalog, uh, definitely. And I was going to ask you specifically about that song. Um, like how much a part of your bandmates in all your bands are they in the songwriting process? Because it feels like the drum part on that art is so essential to the song. Yes. Uh, the band and both of these bands are always very essential They've, they've always also been very trusting of me and parts that I come up with. And they've also and been, they've been very um, open to if I have a part that's cool, they're not going to do something different just to spite me and say, Oh, that's okay. But no, 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 no. so, you know, in that one uh, they're like, Oh, thanks guitarist. I'll figure it out. Okay. You know, so it was never that it was um, it was only, they would always take the idea and make it better. And that was the exact case of that one. I, I did do a demo of that song and it was slower. And that beat is a beat that I can play. Like that was something I would have played on drums kind of sitting around. And so I put that one down, except the beat, the whole groove was that instead of like, uh, currently it's at like, but when I was doing and I had a just that kind of rolling guitar line 
down, 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 down. That was a theft from the dismemberment plan. Ah. Uh, that's from a song from their record called Emergency and I. And you'll know which one it is. It sounds just like that. Um, yeah. But the opening of the tone, their, their tune goes, bow, now, 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 now. And this beat comes in. It's a great song. Those guys yeah. are, but that was the vibe to create this kind of trance like rolling uh, texture fabric underneath mm-hmm. where doing that whole thing while this rough chord progression transpired above it you know yeah so i love it man some of the best stuff really is pure theft from some of the best other artists i think uh, it kind of all is but you're exactly right ultimately it does take on a life of its own hopefully unless you end up writing something that's just too close which has also happened too yeah so. that's the amazing thing too though about the life and times because you know in, in some areas it it's definitely feels very much like Shiner, but, uh, but it's also very much its own thing. Like, which I know it's, you can't pick favorites, but I mean, like which of those bands is more satisfying to you? Cause I know they're still part of your life to this day. Yeah. Uh, well, they're both so different uh, for me than, and just the, the vibe of being with those guys. Uh, I'm, I'm very, it's, I don't know. It's satisfying in different ways. You know, it was, I can't tell you how satisfying it was to get back together with the Shiner guys and to make music that what, like we did that felt so right. Feel so right. (laughs) Uh, like really a special, a special time and to, and to actually kick ass and do it well. That felt really great. There was, there was many, uh, other times before like 20 years ago when it was unsettled and it felt tense and kind of like that kind of vibe but uh and life and times i my relationship with those guys has always been just like one of you know like we just want to hang out in the van if we have to go play a show too that's even better but like we just like hanging out in the van and being together and playing being on tour and but uh we when we are on stage and about halfway through a tour, it is, we're playing at a very high level of, of competency life and times is. And, yeah. and it's a very, very special thing. I think for fans and I think for us on stage, we just go, man, we're killing it. We just, we're so thrilled with ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so good. No, absolutely, man. And Chris is just a machine. Like I've had the pleasure to see you guys live a couple times when you come through into Atlanta and it, it's just mind blowing the, uh, the amount of excellence up there. Are, are you guys going to have something uh, coming soon? Uh, the life and times. I hope so. We have seven songs that are near completion. And I think we're going to go down to um, Matt Talbot's studio down in Champaign up in Champaign, Illinois for you uh, to yeah. uh, to go put these songs down and just kind of get on with it. We had oh, to. That's great. We've always kind of had a couple of years between records, but we'll always kind of put something out in between either an EP or a DVD or a, a covers record or something. And so this is one of the first times when we've had like three years when nothing since 2017. So I've been right. busy. I've been doing, uh, been finishing the bird hand shit for fucking ever. Uh, we kind of paused to make the shiner record and get that out i should have been on tour all year um quite honestly or at least in big chunks um we were planning on touring the whole world and everything eric got married um eric the bass player oh cool yeah and uh um has moved to uh st louis and started a cool gig with his brother and that's been great and it will still allow us to like make music he's gonna have a child soon so it's been a it's been a big one of those times when um bands take a few years off in order to, or a hiatus in order to like have a baby you know and to, yeah yeah to do their other band and things like that and i and i i do uh most certainly think we will have a record in 2022 for sure yeah yeah and i, I mean that's awesome and obviously you stay busy uh 
between the three bands now and everything else. And, and in that time, speaking of parenting, you have kids in high school, right? I do. I do. That's They're, cool, man. Are, are they into uh, doing music as well? or? Uh, they are not musicians, quote unquote, but they are both heavy duty music connoisseurs and lovers. Okay. Um, and it is very a very big part of their lives. Ava's taken piano for a while. It didn't resonate necessarily. I think her teacher sucked. In fact, I know it. I know it. <laughs> so, uh, Elliot, You're a connoisseur of teachers, so yeah. yeah. And I understand how these things go. Yeah. Uh, now nah, he was fine. Um, but uh, and Elliot can play some acoustic guitar. He knows the he knows the basic chords. And they both have the ability to, to understand. They have a, a really deep knowledge and, and, and uh, appreciation of music. They don't necessarily listen to dad's music, which uh, <laughs> sure even better though, because my wife doesn't either. Our relationship isn't really predicated on that. She knows I'm making good music, but she doesn't put it on every fucking day. You know, she's got to deal with me anyway. So Right, yeah. I would assume that would be, I mean, for the best anyway, but. Ooh, what uh, a terrible record. She was like, oh, and loved me less, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you seem to me like you'd be a, a great dad, man. Like you give off good dad vibes. As a matter of fact, Dan Dixon, our mutual friend, he describes you as a uh, papa bear for the musicians out there. Uh, do you think of yourself as a good father? I think i am a good father i really do um uh, it has definitely tested me as a human um and sometimes you go man why did i do this you know because like having teenagers can be really tough man it can be really yeah. tough it's really a it's a beautiful ride up into a up until about later middle school until and then now they're coming out of it and they're turning in they're like juniors and they've turned into full human beings, almost occasionally still 13. Right. They're like amazing human beings. They love hanging out together. And quite honestly, we were talking about this. The pandemic has made us closer and has forced us to deal with some issues that were ongoing. And it's also taken them out of their uh, some of those social constructs that build in high school and, and all of that that you got to they have to fucking deal with and you know yeah. media as much as anything but like it has really um allowed us to reset as a family just to press reset and reboot and that's been really nice um but i do love being a father as, as far as like the indie rock guys man i just before i knew it i found myself when i was the old guy it's like i didn't i still think of myself i was like what you mean me i just got here i i swear to god man i you know it's like i yeah. really even though I have been making music in, in bands and shit since I was, you know, 20 years old. So I'm, you know, it's 30 years, 30 plus years. It seems like it has just been like, kind of like a very fun journey um, and kind of a, not a struggle, but I'm where I'm still like on the path, you know, I, yeah. I don't think I've like landed at some um, um, state of oh, I made it now because I haven't, you know, it's not, it's not, what's happened what's happened and i've been and the difference between a lot myself and a lot of my guests on third year scratch is that i have chosen to have a family and that and and to not just ride the ride the tiger you know and so because right. of that it's necessitated that i have a, a, a at least a part-time job and so because of that the service industry has made itself the most best possible case, you know? And so I just yeah. myself with great restaurants, you know, either in Kansas city at, at Minsky's pizza where they're great. If anybody's going to Kansas city, they should go to Minsky's pizza, but the only the main one on main street, just South the Plaza 5101 South okay. main street or whatever it is. I think it's main street. Yeah. And then, but in Kansas and in Chicago, Longman and Eagle and being a bartender and that, being able to make money in a pretty great environment um, without killing myself um, has been a godsend and allowed me to tour and to raise a family. Yeah. I get yeah. to kind of have my cake and eat it too. Although, you know, my crowds are at, 
you know, somewhere between, you know, maybe it's only 55 people in Des Moines crowded around the stage, but other cities it's 300, the big cities it's two, 300 people and the, and the cloud and the crowds are pretty great, but it's a, it's a pretty measured kind of thing. Yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. It's so inspirational um, to, to hear you say all this, that it's, you know, for people out there that are maybe just starting out in music, you know, thinking like, is this even possible to pull it off? And you have a great balance going on in your life that obviously also comes with age, but um, it, it seems like a lot of people aren't willing to put in the work necessarily. And you seem like you've always had a really strong work ethic and you strive for excellence. Um, was this instilled in you at a young age or? I, I, I don't, I guess it must've been my, my parents are um, professors of music and both musicians. Uh, dad's a singer and a choral conductor and a voice teacher and the head of the vocal faculty at William Jewell College forever and has had a really great career. My mom just passed, but before that she was a, for a, many years of her life, um, a music director and had her own choirs and uh, an amazing organist and pianist. They both had their doctorates um, wow. and were both uh, really literate and dedicated to their careers. And the, what I saw from them was late nights at rehearsals after long days of teaching and but it wasn't work right they were they went to go do their rehearsals or whatever even after you know they've been teaching voice all day and all of the work was full of like um it was joy work it was work but it was joy work and so i guess maybe that um was the was this what i really learned you know what i mean yeah and you got to learn it like from like true experience i mean not many people can say both their parents were in music i mean that's amazing yeah 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 um it was definitely a big deal my mom was my dad's accompanist um they both they met in college in alabama and then they went to the seminary in louisville i'm originally from louisville kentucky and then i and then i i kind of grew up there i spent some years in louisiana and then moved back to Louisville and then went to Kansas city for college. But, um, they were, uh, you know, very, uh, dedicated to their craft. I mean, they just, there just was nothing else. And then they were 50 years old too, but like (laughs) there at a certain point, I thought I would be in academia. Although my college career, I did not do music education as a, as a major, I took kind of a general music and voice and guitar uh, kind of principle. Sure. Thing, so did you get uh, any voice lessons from your dad at all or, you know, I did. I, in my first two or three years of college, I was singing with a gentleman who was not right for me. He was on the voice faculty. My dad had hired him in fact. And he is a really great singer, but he was not right for me. And he was not sympathetic to uh, understanding that I was also, because I was even then a budding young musician. When I was at and finishing high school, I knew I wanted to go l- learn about music in college to go be a rock and roll musician or go be a musician. That's what I wanted to do. And he could not feel it. He was not having it. This my voice teacher. And so somewhere yeah. my, my fourth and fifth year of college, dad, <laughs> dad, uh, I sat out half of my junior year, so it threw off some things. But my, I had my dad teach me for the last two years, and it was a really cool thing. It's also hard to teach your children. That's yeah. all I know why he didn't want to do it, because kids act like assholes when dad tries to teach them. Yes. They, and they let their worst selves out. I tried to teach my kids different things. And it was a disaster. If they'd had a lesson with somebody else, this was years ago, right? less mature, but like they acted like less than, less than cool. Even less than I was like, you got, come on, we can do this. I was like, let dad show you some shit. It was not happening. So lesson there. And the fact that my dad was able to take me on. um, And I guess 
maybe he had a conversation with me that said, I'm not going to do this with you when you're, if you can't act like you got to be like, this has to be pro. He must have said that because I can't take you on if you're going to act like a baby or whatever. So when I give you directions, do this and don't, don't be a wise guy. Right. Right. Well, that says a lot about you too, that you've obviously took that to heart and were willing to, you know, let the parent teach you. Cause yeah, I think all of us kids uh, want to rebel against their parents to some degree. Like my, my mom was uh, a vocal um, professional as well. And uh, when she tried to teach me, I just got, uh, I don't know, like I wasn't open to the criticism, I think, yep. Yep. you know, mom, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, yeah. You get very defensive that, right. that a lot of it. And you're able to act that out because it's mom. Instead of it being, if it's like Steve, somebody teaching them, there's no way they're going to act out, you know, and that might yeah. be. Yeah, but that's so cool, man. And so uh, that must have been like an incredible experience in hindsight, probably to realize like you had this cool thing with your dad that looking on your career now, it probably yes. gave you a huge boost vocally. Uh, I think it did. I think it gave me a huge boost. Um, not only vocally, but just like also just quality time with the old man, quite honest. Yeah. And him with him buried in his craft. Um, he is 81 now and he is, um, has until COVID has still had a 50 voice choir in Kansas city that they put on like four concerts regularly they'll and they do well, they get reviews in the paper and everything. He was, uh, um, so that is probably still going to happen, but he's, um, he's very active and, um, just kind of waiting for all that to clear up, but he's, he has been a real inspiration for, and has also, you know, it would have been very easy for, uh, he's been very easy on me and very understanding of, my aspirations and, and very realistic about what musicians go through um, and what they have to do in order to pursue their craft. Yeah. So for instance, you know, when I got out of college, I want to start touring and I started doing, you know, from my college band, I started, then I started uh, Shiner pretty soon thereafter and it got pretty serious for me. And I was like, just home. I would, when I was home, I was delivering pizzas from Minsky's pizza, 5105 main street. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, uh, they, uh, I mean, he, he never said, what are you doing? Like he never said that. He said, this is what you do. You do this and then you go do your craft. And then at some point you won't have to deliver pizzas and it takes over and, and does that. And, but at some point yeah. or the work that you do, that is kind of your, um, helping to pay the bills work becomes cooler and cooler. Mine turned into a blue man group and, uh, learning to be a coctologist at a Michelin star, you know, whiskey right bar. Yeah. So really was something I'd never planned on. And, um, but, uh, so maybe that's what happens. There's a lot of people, you know, Pablo Casals is one of the most famous celebrated cellists in the world and has continued to teach, you know, when you're not performing, you teach. Right. There's, there's an old, the old, uh, if you can't do you teach, which I don't, <laughs> ascribe to at all i think it's bullshit but there's yeah. a like you know um that's what happens musicians teach when they're not performing and i was sure. like i get that so i started teaching guitar and i've really really been enjoying that i have 10 or 12 students over a couple days and that's been over a couple days a week and that's been amazing um really enjoying that and i just like turn the light on for people you know, and there's so many people who are um, just kind of fumbling around in a dark room. You know, they kind of bump into furniture, but it turns out all right. And when they're playing, they're like, I kind of go here and then I kind of go here and they can kind of play, you know. But like right. I end up turning the light on for some people. It's not just because I'm some like wham damn shredder, wittily, 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 wheeze, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, but I do know how to teach and kind of uh, turn the light on. Yeah. And that must be so fulfilling. Like you can't really put a price on that. Right. When you see that you've turned a light on for somebody. Oh man, Yeah. I'm telling you, it just is like, I go, here it is. It's really, this is the, 
this is it's happening you know it, it is like watching jeans fade though sometimes it takes it takes a minute you know but sure um but when it does happen it is it is quite fulfilling i mean i get jazzed after every after every lesson i really am a little drained and pumped so yeah yeah no absolutely i i used to uh teach a little bit like my guitar knowledge is nowhere near uh the shiner life and times bird hands level but um when i when i see you know somebody light up just learning uh their favorite song it's like yeah man you feel that energy and you're like back in it again absolutely so when did you realize how good you were because Shiner seemed like it was pretty fully formed out of the gate in the nineties. What did it just, did it connect very quickly? Um, I, I, you know what, it's, it, it, it wasn't, it, I know things come out like that and they seem like that. Um, it was a, 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 a few years of writing less than great songs, although we really didn't, any songs almost everything we wrote we ended up using it's one of those bands uh it was just a moment in time when there was really dynamic drummers in kansas city we were really basing a lot of our sound off of that kind of uh louisville and chicago vibe there was a, a our we were building off of of uh there was a, a bit of a smashing pumpkins and jesus lizard thing mm-hmm. from chicago and then also slint was a big influence for us from Louisville. Um, and that we kind of, kind of like blended that out into our sound while also stealing liberally from our friends in bands like season to risk and Molly McGuire. So those were my big influences were some of our closest friends. Um, it was not ready out of the gate. In fact, um, we were at first called orchid. We had another drummer, from my college band, Clayton Brown, who has been on my podcast, a filmmaker now. I had to fire him, and uh, that's, uh, <laughs> I was like, dude, you need to go do that. He was like, you're right. So, uh, but um, then Tim Dow joined the band, a very dynamic drummer, like, and he had the kind of chops that were like what we were really loving in like Jimmy Chamberlain from Smashing Pumpkins. Right. Who could like seriously play and kind of carry the band. We'll strum a lot with loud guitars. You shred. So yeah. it's that, you know, instead of um, what I did have, what I felt like was one of my um, strongest attributes was that I could sing. Um, and not that the not that Steve from Season Risk couldn't and Jason from Molly McGuire couldn't. It just it wasn't what they weren't they weren't singers, quote unquote. Steve is a front man and kind of like uh um, Killing Joke and, and David Yao, but he wasn't like a crooner. I mean, yeah. he's turned into a great singer. Um, he always has been a, just a huge personality, and so has Blackmore, but they weren't like crooners, neither of them. Jason Blackmore from Molly McGuire. And um, so I did have that. I knew, I knew that I could kind of put together some songs that were a little different. I knew I had a different guitar style because I'd been playing acoustic guitar mainly. I did not know how to play electric guitar when... Um, shiner started it was more like uh a bunch of chords i moved around the neck and i had a good right hand and i could make those chords sound like um different like a, a piano or something I, I i you know i could and i i don't know i so i appreciate that it sounded pretty well formed it took a few years of that of just you know playing too loud and that kind of thing to make it happen i was um, I felt good about the songs from even for our first record uh, called Splay uh, on DeSoto Records. And that was a uh, right um, from 95. Yeah. Bob West had recorded that. Yeah. 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 That's great, man. And uh, yeah, I mean, you're still chasing that egg, man. And it's, uh, it just keeps getting better and better, man. And uh, like I said, I'm uh, loving the podcast as well. Um what was it? Was there something just specifically that got you into wanting to do that? Um, cause it was pre pandemic, right? That you started it. Pre pandemic. It was, um, I want to say May of 2019. So I had, I was pretty well into it about a year into it when the pandemic hit. I 
guess I had heard several podcasts and, you know, Marin was a big influence and um, I don't listen as much now. I get a chance to sometimes when I'm working out or whatever, but I don't always kind of dial in. I don't want it to really influence how I do it. And I don't think I sound like him and I don't, I don't think it sounds like I'm trying to ape him and I'm certainly not. No. Uh, and I don't think I even like register on his radar. So a blip on his radar. So it's, I'm not really concerned about it. Um, but yeah. I, uh, it, it, I thought that this approach would be interesting. I had listened to his pod before and I thought, you know, there's so many people that are doing great things. And wouldn't it be interesting just to, I had an inch, a conversation just to talk to like kind of anybody, you know? So it ends up being that I'm, um, I mean, musician or not, you know, maybe you just interview like humans and find out about their crazy fucking lives. Like anybody like mm -hmm. my crazy shit's going on with her. You wouldn't believe it, you know, yeah. she's a food scientist, but her life has been topsy turvy. And I think if you got into like people's lives, you'd find out they're pretty fucked up. Or, yeah, and everybody has an interesting story when you really delve deep into it. Absolutely. I fully so, agree. And so yeah. that inspiration for this and then you then you get into people who are actually doing really great things on a national level they're just not on the cover of rolling stone um, right. but actually making a living and doing cool things and but you don't know about them or or if you do know about them you assume they're rich right yeah like uh and like they got to pay bills too man so you know they're like oh when you're home you actually drive uber i was like yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah do different things, you know, in order to make it happen, you know? So. Um, exactly. Well, dude, yeah. You're almost a hundred episodes in at this point, I think, and uh, going strong. So keep up the great work, man. So I'm just going to plug a few things. Uh, third gear scratch, check yep. out the podcast on all streaming services, check out shiner, the life and times and the upcoming band bird hands, uh, which, uh, we'll be on Bandcamp. And what was that uh, that restaurant one more time? <laughs> well, historically, Longman and Eagle has where I've is where I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to be working there these days. But, uh, right, right. You're in Logan Square, but yeah, definitely go see those guys. Wonderful people. And, uh, and I suppose it's possible that the Blue Man Group will reopen, and I, maybe I'll be a part of that. But you know, there's no guarantees. So, I'm not holding my breath, and we got to keep moving ahead. So. exactly man well thank you so much again for doing this and uh yeah just uh keep it up man keep keep chasing it and keep doing your thing because it is all awesome dude thank you john i really appreciate it and this was fun and uh yeah sorry about the uh sorry about the no the no show no call last time <laughs> <laughs> no worries man the world of zoom is crazy so uh i appreciate it man i'll talk to you soon right on dude thanks all man right, see ya.